Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning. Everybody good? Well, actually, it's, it's actually just gotten to be uh, afternoon. It's nine after. Well, uh, I'm, I'm uh, going to just continue talking about discipleship. Now, this is, this is Jesus' heart. He, he's risen from the dead, and he's talking with his disciples. He's about literally to go to heaven. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations. You can receive Jesus as your Savior. You're on your way to heaven, but you're not a full-blown disciple. In fact, Jesus said to make them. In other words, there is a process that we go through in order to become a disciple. And that process is going to lift us. It's going to be, uh, it's going to stretch us. It's going to encourage us. But what we're going to do as this happens is uh, we are going to become more and more and more like Jesus. So what I'm telling you is this, that as we talk about this, for every one of us, there is a next step for everybody. In fact, the Apostle Paul, who went to heaven and came back, Jesus personally appeared to him when he got saved. He wrote nearly half of what we consider the books of our New Testament. And he says, not that I have already obtained. He says, I, I'm not all the way there yet. For every one of us, there's a next step. So uh, the, 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 this should in no way make us go, oh, I'm just dirt and I'm bad and I want to eat worms. This should tell, hey, I, I, I want to reach. I want to lift. Uh, I, I want to go to the next level. I want to find out what is the next step for me. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23, says, The church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. Now, as the, the world looks at the church, the world considers the church to be insignificant. At the very least, the, the, the church is at the peripheral of anything that is important. But as God looks at the world, the church is not in the peripheral. The world, everything that's going on in the world is peripheral to what's going on in the church. In other words, your help is not going to come from the White House. It's not going to come from the schoolhouse or from the courthouse, your help is going to come from the church house. You're, you see, what God is doing in the earth, he's doing in and through the church. Now, in Daniel chapter 2, the, the king of the Babylonian empire has a dream. And no one knows how to interpret it. And finally, Daniel comes and Daniel gives him the interpretation of the dream. And he sees this big image that represents all of the kingdoms of this world. And a, a stone comes and hits it and literally pulverizes it. And Daniel says, this is going to be the end. And this is, this is his, he said, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. 
The God of heaven will set up a kingdom, a government. He said, and it will never end and it will never be left to another people. How many of you know that God is in the government business? He's in the kingdom business. Jesus' message was the kingdom of God is here. And what God does in the earth, he does through the church. So you see that the church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts and by which he fills everything with his presence. So it is by the church that he does everything that he does. And somebody says, well, why doesn't God do something about that? And God's in heaven like, why don't you do something about that? Because you're the church. And everything that he's going to do, he's going to do through the church. We can, we, can, we can get wound up in what the world is doing and thinking this is the most important thing. But listen, the world is peripheral to what is really important. And I want you to just think about your week. So much of what we do 100 years from now will not make one iota of difference. But everything you do in the kingdom of God is eternal. It's eternal. See, what, what, what we think are the main issues are not usually the main issues. And what we think is a peripheral issue is the main issue. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Message Bible again. Now, for those of you uh, who don't know what this, this, this message Bible is, uh, how many of you know what the King James Bible is? Right? That's the one with all the these and thous. And it can re- you can get lost in all the these and all the thous. So, so we recommend that, that you get some sort of a more modern translation of the Bible, the way that we talk today. And one of the good ones is the Message Bible. And it says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, for even though I'm free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant. I have voluntarily become a what? A servant. Now, remember, Jesus is our example. And he said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. He says, I've voluntarily become a servant to any in all, in order to reach a wide range of people, religious and non-religious, meticulously moralistic, loose living immoralist, defeated, demoralized, whoever. I don't take on their way of life, but I keep my bearings in Christ, but I enter their world. But what, what do we do? We enter their world world. He said, I don't take on their way of life, but I enter their world. Now, here's the thing. Most people that have been a Christian for a year don't have any friends that aren't Christians. Now, how are you going to reach somebody? Because people don't care what you know until they know how much you care. You got to have a relationship with somebody. You got to enter into their world. So Paul said, I enter their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. 
I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempt to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Now, here's the deal. Most of us today who call ourselves Christians, we talk about it. We might hear about it. We might read a book about it and watch a podcast about it, but we're not in on it. It's all up here, but none of it is being converted into the way that we live and the way that we reach out and the way that we touch and relate to people. I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Now, as Jesus disciples, as followers of Jesus, he's our example. And he was a servant. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. Let me say it like this. Life is not about you or me. It's not who it's about. It's not what it's about. Disciples are not self-focused. It's not about my glory, my ambition, my family, my goals, my success, my pleasure, my desire, my purpose, or as I like to call them, the unholy trinity, my feelings and my wants and my needs. We kind of make them, uh, uh, we, we, literally, it makes us a sovereign self. It's all about what I want. It's all about my needs and it's all about my feelings. But we need to replace that sovereign self with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And by the way, our culture is preaching to us that unholy trinity. It's all about what you want. It's all about what you feel. And it's all about what you need. From the economist to the physician to the psychologist, the educators, the politicians, the writers, the actors, the singers, everybody is preaching this gospel of self. And they're passionate about it. And they're intelligent, but it is a lie. It's a lie. And our culture is promoting and believing that lie. And it undermines Jesus' message, which says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself. Feelings, wants, needs, desires. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. The Bible, literally what's happening is so many people, even Christians, they're trading in their Bible for a holy self. It's all about my, my feelings and my wants and my needs. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, now at home in the body or absent and in heaven, to be pleasing to him. That ought to be our number one goal, not our desires and our needs and our feelings. In 2 Corinthians 5, he said, for he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Now, that's the exact opposite message that the world gives us. But we should live for him who died and then for them and then rose again. Jesus says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it. 
And whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the world but loses his soul? Or what will he give in return for his soul? Now, Jesus said, if you find your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, you'll find it. Now, we have people, they're out there and they're, they're, they're pursuing happiness. If I could just be happy, if I could just have some joy. And literally, this is what Solomon said. He said, the pursuit of happiness is like grasping for the wind. How many ever tried to grab a handful of wind? You know what you end up with? Nothing. You, you end up empty every single time. And Solomon is telling us, he says, if you make the pursuit of your life, the pursuit of happiness, you will not find happiness. But if you lose your life, Jesus said, for his sake, he said, then you will find your life. One paraphrase says you'll leave your low life and you will come to the high life. In Philippians, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, valuing others above ourselves, not looking to our own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, selfless service is totally countercultural and even goes against human nature. And it talks about Jesus, and this is what it says in verse 7 of Philippians 2. Rather, he made himself... Nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Now, he's our example. In fact, verse five says in our relationship with one another, we have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality God something to be used to his own advantage. What Jesus did is he humbled himself and he became a servant. Now, here's what happens as a result. Verse nine, therefore, God has highly exalted him. But what you do is you humble yourself. Now, Jesus was worshiped for all of eternity. The angels were singing praises. He lived in perfect harmony with God the Father. And he steps out of heaven and puts on a suit of humanity and takes on the very nature of a servant. And he humbles himself. And he's born in a stable. And the creator becomes vulnerable. He forfeits everything that heaven has to offer. And he's willing to be misunderstood, to be mocked, despised, rejected, betrayed, lied about, tortured, hung on a cross. He did it all to serve you and me. He made himself nothing. The Bible says he became a servant to save us. And what we are supposed to do is to humble ourselves and give of ourselves and only to the extent, listen, that we are amazed that Jesus humbled himself and came and served us, do we serve others? Only to the extent that we look at what he did. You know, Jesus' disciples, they did not get it. In fact, they're jockeying for position. You know, I want to sit on the right hand and so-and-so is going to sit on the left hand and I want to be, you know, I want to be in your cabinet. I want to be a leader. 
And they're arguing among themselves about who would be the greatest. And Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and the great men lorded over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table, the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course. But not here. For I am among you as one who serves. Jesus is saying, look at me, I'm the example. Not the way the world does things. They're not the example. He says, I'm the example. In the world, the greatest one is the one who is served by the most. But in God's kingdom, the greatest one is the one who serves the most. It's not how many people serve you. It's how many people are you serving? That's what, that's what makes greatness. And you can serve. You can serve in your home, in church, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your work, in your life. And true greatness begins with a humble heart. And a humble heart is formed, listen, while we serve others as servants. That's a humble heart. And that's when it's formed, when we serve. You know, you can really find out if somebody's a servant when they're treated like one. Brooker T. Washington was the best-known black man in the world. Went to the White House, dined with the president. He was uh, at a conference. He was the speaker at the conference. He was in the lobby of the hotel. And, and, and a lady said to him, take my, my bags. Thought he worked there. And said, take my bags over here and put them over there. He took her bags put him over there and came back and said, is there anything else I can do for you? Servant's heart. You find out if somebody has a servant's heart when they're treated like a servant. Again, the most famous, best-known black man in the world, but he was a servant. How I many of you know that just goes contrary to everything we think? But how many realize the gospel is so counterintuitive? To go up, you go down. To receive, you give. It's, it's so counterintuitive. A humble heart is formed while we serve others. If we give ourselves away, we become fulfilled and secure. When you serve, when you give of yourself, you become fulfilled and secure. The self-absorbed are more depressed and lonely than ever. Because when you're self-absorbed and you're trying to pursue that happiness, you're going to come up with a handful of nothing. Romans 8. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's actions in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life, 
Focusing on self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what he's doing, and God isn't pleased at being ignored. So we can serve, and you don't need to go far to serve. You can start in your relationships, in your home, in your church, in your community. Paul said, I voluntarily became a servant. Now, when it comes to church, I, I kind of see people like in three different categories. You know, there's the visitors and uh, they're just here once in a while and they're here to, re to, to, to receive and they have absolutely no inclination of serving. But then there's the renters and they come regularly, but they're just consumers. It's about my feelings and my needs and my wants. And really, they treat the church like a rental car. How many have ever rented a car? How many have waxed it before you brought it back? How many even cleaned it before you brought it back? How many of you... How many of you beat the snot out of it? You know, yeah, let's find out what this thing can do. You know why? Because that's a renter's mentality. You know, I'm just here to use. I'm here to use it, get what I can get out of it, and give it back in whatever condition it is when it's done. But I've got no concern about helping, about serving, about building. And then there's owners. The owners, they pray, they attend, they serve, they give of their time, their energy, their talent, their heart. And listen, all of Jesus' disciples are servants in the local church. They're servants in the local church. See, that's what Jesus came to do. He came to serve. And we need to have that same mind, that same heart, a servant's heart. When you, think that ser when you think of servanthood, if you envision it as an activity performed by relatively low-skilled people at the bottom of the positional totem pole, then you have the totally wrong impression. Servanthood is not about position or skill. It's about your heart. It's an attitude of your heart that you take on, just like Jesus, a position, a lowly position to serve others. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. I love this. He said, anybody can be great because anyone can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only have to have a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. The best known verse in the whole Bible is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. And listen, you cannot love and not give. Now you can give and not love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, I can give all of my goods to feed the poor, but if I don't have love, 
It profits nothing. You can give without love, but you cannot love and not give. When you love, you're going to give, you're going to sacrifice for God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. His love was so great that he gave his very, very, very best. And when we love God and we see what Jesus did for us, that is supposed to motivate us. The happiest and most fulfilled people on earth are not billionaires who have everything they want, but they're the people that serve. They're the happiest and the most fulfilled. Listen, you were created to serve. You were created to serve. Now, this is uh, Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do the good works which God predestined, planned beforehand. So God has planned good things for you to do. The Bible here calls them good works. And what most people think, listen, is that God saved me from my sin. And that is half a gospel. Because he saved you from your sin, but he saved you to good works. He didn't just save you from something. He saved you to something. So he, he's planned beforehand for us. Taking paths which he prepared ahead of time. Think about that. God has got some stuff for you to do, and he's got it lined up. He's got paths for you to take. Now, here's, the, here's what I love. Listen, listen to this verse. Living the good life that he prearranged and made ready for us to live. And a lot of people think, man, if I serve God, I'm going to just live my life like I've been baptized in pickle juice. <laughs> it's going to be such a bore. But the truth is, you will never be more fulfilled. You will live the good life that he prearranged and made ready for you to live. And let me close with a, a thought here and a story. Years ago, one stormy night, an elderly couple entered the lobby of a small hotel trying to get out of the rain. The couple approached the front desk to see if they could get shelter for the night. Simply said, is it possible to get a room here? The clerk, a friendly young man with a winning smile, looked at the couple and explained there were three conventions in town and that literally every hotel room in the town was taken. But the clerk said, you look like a nice couple and it's one o'clock in the morning, it's pouring rain out. He said, perhaps, he said, you'd be willing to sleep in my room. He said, it's not a suite. He says, but you'll be at least comfortable for the night. And the couple declined. And began to leave. And a young guy, he pressed on. And, and he says, don't worry. He said, I'll be just fine. He said, but you'll be fine for the night. And you won't have to be spending a night in an automobile or wherever you could possibly find because there's not one room in our city. The next morning, the elderly man paid the clerk. And he says, you're, you're, you're the kind of a manager, he said, who should manage the best hotel in the United States. He said, maybe one day I'll build you one. The clerk smiled and they had a laugh. And the elderly couple got in the car and drove off. And they, they talked about that guy. And they said, you know, he really is the type of a person 
who serves others, is friendly and helpful, has a servant's heart, and he really would do a great job managing a great hotel. Two years passed. The clerk had forgotten the incident when he got a letter from the old man who talked to him about that stormy night and gave him, sent him a ticket and asking the young man to come and visit him in New York. The old man met him and led him to the corner of Fifth Avenue and 34th. He pointed to a huge new building, a palace of red stone with turrets and watchtowers thrusting up into the sky. And the old man said, that's the hotel that I just built for you. The young man said, you must be joking. The old man said, no, I'm not joking at all. He said, I want you to manage that hotel. Now, the, the man's name was William Waldrove Astor. And the hotel, you probably guessed it, was the original Waldrove Astoria Hotel, the finest hotel in the nation. The young clerk, his name was George C. Bolt, and he managed that hotel. Now, here's what I want to tell you. Servanthood opens doors that are otherwise shut. Abraham sent his servant to go and get a son for his wife. He's got 10 camels. He arrives at a well and he prays and he said, God, the young lady you've got prepared for my master's son, may she be the one who comes and gives me a drink and then gives something to drink to all my camels. Now, he's got 10 camels and each one is going to drink 30 gallons. And the well is deep. And he barely, barely had finished his prayer. And here comes Rachel. He says, give me a drink. She gives him a drink. And then she says, and I'll give something to all of your camels until they're finished drinking. He just sat back and watched. And when she was done, of course, he broke out some gifts of gold and silver and gave them to her and went to her family and made a proposition for her to marry Abraham's son. And she ends up in the lineage of Jesus, literally the mother of the Jewish people, all because she had this idea in her head that I'm going to serve. I'm going to do way beyond anything that's expected of me. Isn't it interesting that Jesus washed his disciples' feet? He was humbled himself and he served. And therefore, the Bible says, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. I want to close with this, this last story. At the beginning of the last century, there was a missionary who had been in Africa for over 30 years. He was coming back to the United States. He was old. He was infirmed and not going to be returning to Africa again. And as they came into the port in, to New York, there was a band, there was a parade, the city had come out, and what he saw there was the city receiving back uh, the President Roosevelt. He had been in Africa on a big game hunt. And he was coming back in the city and everybody was out to greet him. And as he got off the boat, there wasn't one person there to greet him. And he said, Lord, he said, I, I really thought at my homecoming, when I got home, that there'd just be 
somebody at least to meet me. And the Lord spoke to his heart and said, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. You know, you, what, what happens in this, in this world is peripheral. It's peripheral. Because when you are a servant of God and you're serving him in whatever capacity you serve, the Bible tells us that there's going to be a homecoming and that there's going to be, literally, there's going to be a marriage supper and we're going to be there and God is going to serve and we're going to be with him and we're going to fellowship with him. And if all you do is look at this life, you may fall for the lie of this culture that it's about you and it's about your feelings and your needs and your desires. But if you're a real disciple, you know what Jesus said. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus came to serve. And when we follow him, we serve. We're servants with servants' hearts. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.